Hello and welcome to the Elevate Music podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman, vocal coach and PhD researcher, and in this episode we're going to be setting the scene with a general overview of what it's like to work in the commercial music industry in the UK. I'll be speaking to drummer Adam Fijek about his experiences with Baby Shambles and how he coped with the pressure of being in one of the UK's most prominent bands of the time. We'll also be hearing from Joe Hastings, who is the Head of Health and Welfare at Help Musicians. Joe will highlight a number of different support services that can help musicians with their physical and mental health. So, to begin, let's hear Adam's story. I'm not a natural performer. I don't really particularly enjoy performing. For me, music is personal. I really enjoy just playing music. I'm very aware when I exist in a commercial environment that by its very nature has to generate income so then we have to perform it. I'm not one of those people that think, oh, people need to hear this. It doesn't bother me on a personal level whether people hear it or not. For me, it's the engagement of that and the construction and the energy I get from creativity and creation. The performing stuff can take or leave, really. Can you tell me more about what it's like to actually work in that commoditized commercial music industry? I have mixed feelings with it. I think when I was thrust into it, it was, you know, it was amazing. I felt like, you know, we were in the Beatles and Hard Day's Night because we were at the pinnacle of bands when he was in the pinnacle of the public eye. So for me, it was great. You know, I felt adrenalised. I felt really stimulated, maybe too much at times. And I didn't have the same business sense I have now towards the industry. So I think the, the big transition come from me was in reflection when I was no longer involved on such a level. And, you know, the cliche, the phone stops ringing. In hindsight, I realised that lots of those relationships that were quite important to me maybe weren't so important to other people and and I felt quite angry and bitter as I exited that situation but then processing that has brought me to the place I'm at now where I think and and the people I work with it's it's neither good nor bad it just is and I think for me I like my own history of probably attachments and certain kinds of relational dynamics definitely influenced how I worked with people initially in the industry and really probably formed really quite close and strong alliances. But in hindsight, how maybe that wasn't from their angle as well. Let's just be mindful that it is a business. It's an industry and that's neither good nor bad. And if we want to exist in that framework, we have to realise that. So can you tell me, like, on a nuts and bolts level, what was your working schedule like at the peak of baby shambles? What was expected of you on a daily basis? Well, we were quite lucky in the fact that we had lots of freedom because I think Working with someone like Peter, he he would just be on his own agenda in a way. The struggle we had was trying to get him to a certain place at a certain time. So the biggest struggle I particularly had was trying to kind of keep a cohesive sense of trying to deliver what we needed to deliver, whether that be with Rough Trade for an album we were making, whether we were going on tour. Because at that point, I would have A&R calling me from Rough Trade. I'd have, you know, somebody wants to do an article for Mojo. So I was in the eye of the hurricane trying to keep it all together. Not doing an amazing job of it, and in no way was I a manager, but I was barely just making stuff work very clunkily. But we were moving. So for me personally, with all the extra stuff I took on, I felt quite not pressured by it but I definitely felt there was a sense of hyper stimulation for me and I found it really exciting as well Mm. so that was one thing which existed outside of the framework of the band the band was quite relaxed we wouldn't really rehearse that much regarding the whole band because somebody would be here somebody would then be in prison somebody it'd be just chaos so it wasn't 
as if, right, here's your tour schedule, here it is. So next month you're going to be away for three weeks. We would be away for, for that amount. And then we'd say, right, let's go and tour Germany on a whim. We'd do that. So in the context of I hadn't, there was no real plan. We'd do 20, 30 day tours. And on the nights off, sometimes we'd go and do another small show somewhere. There might be a drugs bust and then we'd lose our tour bus for a few days. Someone might say, someone might get put in prison, someone's nicked, someone's been caught. It was just mayhem. How did you cope with the pressure? I think there's part of me that really enjoys that hyperstimulation and really running on like 100 miles an hour. But I also, I have this dissociative part which kind of cuts me out like a thermostat, which causes me to almost slightly numb out. Now if I superimpose that upon something which was as crazy as baby shambles, it really saved me, I think. Really enabled me to disengage. But it also would cause quite a lot of problems on performing because I knew when I was in that kind of dissociated part of my window of tolerance cognitively things can get a bit fuzzy so I'm not as together but I can still perform when I'm like that even now if I get slightly dysregulated and I'm really kind of hyper stimulated by something I feel this massive drop it's like I have this internal thermostat so in terms of the stimulation of baby shambles it was it was almost like a blessing but what was going on hand in hand with a lot of those pressures was using substances to probably keep me in a hyper aroused place after shows we're all adrenalized you know the party and that you imagine goes on yeah I definitely used substances to, to try and mediate that to try and get even more adrenalized the other members of the band, like, what were they doing to cope with the issues, do you think? <laughs> Same. I think all of us were indulging in, in things outside ourselves to regulate ourselves internally. It was more part of that culture, still is now to a certain extent, that if you're on the road and you're of a certain genre, you're going to engage in certain behaviours. And, of course, being in those environments, it, there was lots of it around. And I think, you know, rather than going into the depths of the drugs and, and the rock and rollness of it, I think that is what it is. But without a doubt, I think everybody in that environment, including on the periphery, whether that would be road crew, people around us, everyone would be engaging. If you guys were struggling, like with a health issue or anything that you were encountering, where would you go for support? Nowhere. That wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have occurred to us. I think the only time a health issue would have occurred to us would have been, I suffered from, I've, I've got a knee, and a slight knee problem where from a martial arts accident years ago and if that would play up, it would be like physio or I think sometimes Peter would struggle with a throat problem so it would be like go to literally as a last resort because I cannot sing and you know, we can't go on tour some throat specialist somewhere that would then... Right. So it was very much like crisis management yeah, rather yeah. than crisis prevention. But you're talking about physicality yeah. as well. Um, and, and I think we're in an interesting time now. I think, you know, when I think back about how different it was then, even in, what's that, it's only 10 years ago, things have changed so much now. Mm. It's a very different environment now, I think. Much mm. more awareness, and I think people take it more seriously, probably because of the nature there's less income, so they can't afford to have people messing up all over the place. Right. So how do you think you could have been better supported I think for me it was about we all bring very different things into it. It's the same as mental health. You know, if we take the kind of, you know, the big headlines of depression, anxiety, it's a very different experience for different people. Mm. And I think for me, lots of the stuff that contributed to my psychological struggle, more so when it collapsed for me, you know, ended in litigation, it all got messy, you know, the cliche. The, The biggest struggle I had was this sense of loss. I mean, there was a sense of loss of my own sense of worth. And during the, the years of that band, I 
erected this amazing grandiose scaffolding and thought I was kind of a swaggering rock star in a way, which I probably was at the time, but I didn't realise to what extent. Um, and I think because of my own wounds that I'd bought from my background contributed massively. So when I was out of that environment and I was no longer getting that validation, it really stung for me. Mm. Um, and what also really stung was the relationships. You know, I think I had two people from the old guard call me up when I was no longer in that band. And I felt incredibly vulnerable. I felt hurt. I felt angry. I felt shame. There's lots of different emotions. So for me, the biggest struggle would have been psychological. But I'm also aware that I don't want to point the finger at the industry and say it's you because, you know, through, through processing it all, I think that is the nature of that industry. My own narrative and history contributed with the very essence of the industry and caused those distresses. And through, I guess, my own therapeutic journey, I can see it that way. And I think, well, what can be done now? I, I, I have this conversation a lot and some of the people that I'm involved with on a consultancy basis is, I think people need to be forewarned in a way. But then we discuss, well, then what if someone says, you know, the bass player is a bit unsure, we just signed a band, so we're throwing £10,000 and the bass player's a bit unsure and he wants to get engaged to his partner, then, then what do you do? Do you say we're not going to sign you? But I think there needs to be some realistic expectational information about what they're going to experience potentially. What could that look like, do you think? I don't know. I thought on a basic level, just some information. About what, in terms of your experience, would you say would have helped? I think initially there's different strands to it. For me, it was the psychological stuff. I think it was more about I wasn't prepared for the elevation and then the reduction in that, how that can happen overnight. And I guess that really boils down to something like fame as well. Mm. I mean, I personally, because of my narrative and my history, drew lots of validation from that. Not everyone will. People have come through life and they're relatively secure. I was kind of limping through life at the time and I had an infrastructure which would have been okay. And I think this big kind of amazing experience really reacted quite adversely to my own narrative. Mm. For me, um, I think just an awareness. But on the other side to it, I don't think people would get it even if you sat in front of them because mm. people are so precious about their own journey. It's the same analogy of never meet your hero because they won't get it. They just will not see yeah. it. It's like lots of people don't really get the music industry, really. I think they think they do. But I think unless you've been through that, mm. then you get it. But on that level, I get my experience. I could never, never really get I know lots of people still in the industry and their experience is very different to mine because I think it boils down to the mental health or people's own psychologies. It's so uniquely different that it's very hard to pinpoint. And I guess different genres and different parts of the industry, like if you're signed to a major or an independent or depending on the, the level of your career, where it goes to. Yeah, I mean, I do think there should be almost a duty of care as well within there. So, for example, I'm speaking about it recently, there could be different tiers. So on one level, if you're signed, say you're signed with 10 grand, and then if you are to leave and you do the whole leaving contractual thing, everybody gets free sessions with whoever just to talk you down. And then you can be signposted from there. So yeah. there needs to be an available pool, some kind of money put in the industry where there is this place where musicians can go, people that are signed when it does dismantle or goes wrong mm -hmm. or just doesn't work the duty of care kicks in and says even just one or two and then mm. what do you need from here mm. and even if it ends up slowing down to okay well what you need to do now is to go and see your GP and then that's that at least you're not just left crunch see you because yeah. you know when it happens in my experience 
I'm faced with literally going up against legally people that I could never compete with financially. I'm getting forms thrust in front of me, which I didn't have a clue about. Luckily enough, I was slightly aware of the industry working. So I was trying, people were trying to get me to sign over my PRS, my PPL, all this stuff. Luckily enough, I have a kind of real resilient kind of angry part, which propelled me out and sought my own lawyer. Lucky enough, again, I had a friend that was very just his profile was just raising had a very high profile lawyer who he ended up saying to me look he'll stand behind you he won't charge you because when you're involved in, in legal issues of that kind you're looking at a thousand pounds for a letter the industry side of it it can be quite a brutal area it's nice yeah. when it's all going with you but it's not so nice mm. when it's against you so what advice would you give if someone was starting out now with regards to their, how to look after their health and well-being in their career just have a few therapy sessions to see what you're going in with yeah even if you don't resolve it just so you know just so you know that, okay, you've got a few wounds that you need to be a bit protected of because in this commercialised, commoditised industry, this could flare up, this could work against you. I think a bit of self-knowledge, really. You know, if you have a propensity for depression or anxiety, just be aware of that. I think I think self-awareness is the key. Yeah, that's good I advice. think me going back into the industry now would be very different. I'd manage it very differently. How, what would you do differently out of interest? I wouldn't have got sucked in as much to the grandiosity and validation externally. Mm-hmm. I would have managed my relationships accordingly from a much more business perspective. You know, there were people that I consider myself really good friends with, and it is the cliche, the phone stops ringing. And for me, they were quite rich relationships, and mm-hmm. they kind of dry up overnight. Suddenly the person you're hanging out with and you're speaking to four or five times a day, they're the person that's on the other side of a maybe a huge legal affair. It got really messy. And for me, because I'd come from, again, you know, my own history of there's been abandonment, there's been neglected, really my own wounds definitely made that a lot messier and painful than it may have been for somebody else. So would you say you're healthy now? Yeah. Can you, can you tell us how, you, how, do you, how do you stay healthy? How do I stay healthy? Um, I manage my workload. I think my biggest struggle is I think I can do too much. You know, I really like to be adrenalised and I really like to do lots and I have many aspirations, but I'm much more mindful now of taking time. And I see it from a practical level of just giving my brain a chance to kind of download all the stuff that I've been doing. I think I eat very well and I exercise. Bigger than that, I know myself. The overarching part of all of that is I know myself. Finally, to end on a positive note, can you tell me something that you love about your music career? Okay, I love now how I can have one leg in the industry and one leg out, which enables me to be a much more regulated person. I don't need the industry so much. I can sit along with it rather than feel like I'm being drawn and blown by a wind. So I love being able to be creative. I love being able to use music to regulate. And I really still enjoy just being around musicians and that creativity. But I guess if I bore the whole thing down, it's the very essence of the sound. It's the very essence of, I can play a certain chord or I can create a melody. It really does something for me. I think I I really, my sense of attachment and how I can feel deep emotion comes from how I relate to music. Thank you to Adam for that insight into his experiences within the commercial music industry. The Elevate Music podcast is produced in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare services, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians, or to find out how to access that support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. 
Next, I speak to Joe Hastings, Head of Health and Welfare at Help Musicians. Joe, could you start by telling me what are the most common things that people come to speak to you about at Help Musicians? Well, about five years ago, we did a piece of research around people's well-being needs, and it was with a view to trying to look at what the key issues that musicians were experiencing who were coming to us. And there were four sort of key areas around health need, which were hearing health, vocal health, mental health, which is obviously a big, broad area, and musculoskeletal injuries. But I think probably over the last five years, the thing that I certainly observed in further research, but also through insights and through the people that we talk to, is that it's very uncommon that someone has a single issue or a single challenge. There's often a kind of a multitude of things that impact on someone's ability to thrive and kind of, you know, continue to work within their chosen area of the industry. So if someone comes to you with a problem like those that you described, how are you able to help them? It's quite broad. Our focus is really person-centred, so it's all about the individual. So we try not to make assumptions based on someone's health condition or someone's challenge and listen to them and build a kind of bespoke package around the individual. So that might be um, through some of our partners like BAPAM, people being able to access kind of health interventions and specialist consultations with people who work with musicians regularly um, within the kind of healthcare sector or through Music Minds Matter, which is our support line, people being able to access therapeutic interventions there, or through the Hearing Health Scheme, people being able to access kind of bespoke hearing protection through that scheme. So there's a range of support structures in place through partners and through our the staff within the organisation, but it's, it's all really focused on the individual, so the needs of the individual financially and in terms of their welfare and their health issues and their family situation and their work-based situation is all taken into account in terms of the context of what we can do. Could you explain a bit more about, you mentioned BAPAM, who are BAPAM, what do they do? BAPAM are the British Association of Performing Arts Medicine and they offer clinical assessments for people who are experiencing performance-related injuries and they can make referrals into a range of specialists, physios, vocal health practitioners and psychotherapists, so quite a broad range of support areas for individuals and often the charity Help Musicians, we will fund sessions with specialists for musicians. So we heard from Adam earlier about how he had some problems with his knee. Do you think BAPAM would have been somewhere that Adam could have gone? I think it's somewhere where Adam should have gone. Uh, And (laughs) I think part of the challenge for BAPAM and for ourselves is actually making sure that people who work in the industry are aware that there's support out there for them if they experience difficulties. And certainly for a drummer or for someone who needs the use of all their limbs, there are practical things that probably a generalised physio or a GP certainly wouldn't be able to factor into the kind of the support that they can offer for individuals because a doctor probably wouldn't know unless they were a drummer how important the, the function of the leg is in actually, you know, drumming. So you mentioned just now about Music Minds Matter. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and how people listening can access it? So the support line was developed out of a piece of research we did in 2016, which showed concerning levels of mental health challenges that people were experiencing in music. And we built the service around the responses and some of the second phase of the research, which was kind of individual interviews with musicians around what they would benefit from in terms of maintaining mental health. So it's a support line and the first level of it is kind of a listening ear service. And actually the majority of people tend to use that service as a kind of standalone. And it's only maybe 30 or 40% of people who will go on to access the second phase of support through the service, which is a suite of different kind of counselling options.
So in the earlier section of the episode, we heard that Adam recommended people to have a couple of sessions of therapy when they're starting out, just to find out what things could be problematic for them. Is this something that musicians can access through Music Minds Matter? Yeah, they can access the therapeutic support. And also, I think the listening ear service is quite a useful space for people to talk about some of the things that they might see as potential challenges or things that they're having difficulties with in terms of their music, their career and the stuff that they might be concerned about around elements of those kind of things. You also mentioned about the Hearing Health Scheme. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? The Hearing Health Scheme, again, was born out of a piece of research we did looking at musicians' hearing health and some of the concerning levels of people experiencing hearing health challenges working in music. We set it up in 2017 with a view to trying to get as many musicians as possible to access audiological assessment to look at the kind of either challenges or to look at preventative interventions. And as part of the preventative intervention, they also are able to access state-of-the-art custom-molded hearing protection, attenuating hearing protection. So the service is quite broad, but the challenge with it has been the huge success of it in a way because we've had over 10,000 people applying for the scheme. We weren't necessarily expecting quite so many people to come through the scheme but it's really exciting and it's a great part of the charity's offer. So on a nuts and bolts level if a musician's listening and they want to access it how much will it cost them to access this service? It's £40 if they're not an MU member and if they're an MU member it's £30 but it's obviously close to £300 worth of support they're getting so it's a a huge saving. And does that include the earplugs? It does yeah. So Adam also spoke about some of the challenges that he had around his music career ending. Is this something you see in your work? Yes, it can be hugely distressing for people, I think, either as a result of a health issue, which means that they can't continue to work in their chosen field or their chosen area of music, but also where people have to make a decision about their career and move into a different area. We do offer support, and obviously Music Minds Matter, an element of that would be for people to be able to talk about some of the things, the challenges that they're experiencing. But alongside that, we offer careers counselling, and that's music-specific, so people can access support and advice around what they might do in terms of developing a new career path or retraining out of the music industry if in situations where people don't want to continue working in that area. But from my experience, I think it's one of the most difficult and challenging areas for people to try and manage. So just to clarify, if you want to access any of the services that we've been talking about so far with Hearing Health Scheme and Music Minds Matter, we will be putting links underneath the podcast to all of these services so you can find out more there. But Joe, what is the number if someone wants to access the Music Minds Matter service? What number would they call? It's a free phone number and it's 0808 802-8008. And is that free from mobiles? Yes. Fantastic. Thank you. So just to stay on the idea of support for a little bit longer, when Adam was talking about the peak of Baby Shambles' career, it sounded like there wasn't much support available at, at that time, but that was obviously a little while ago. Apart from help musicians, what other support services are out there now for musicians to access within the industry? There's a number of organisations that we work with, uh, that, that we partner with, but also that have their own services available for musicians. So Music Support have a peer-to-peer service and they have a helpline, which is really invaluable. BAPAM, obviously, who I've mentioned before, and hopefully you'll talk more about um, in the series. The Musicians Union obviously have some really, really good services for people. The Incorporated Society of Musicians and there are a number of benevolent funds who work in music as well alongside ourselves. So the PRS have their own benevolent fund. Can you just clarify what a benevolent fund is? For anyone listening, if they're not entirely clear. It's kind of slightly outdated language. So really, benevolent funds are usually set up to offer support around people's welfare and people's challenges within their chosen industry. But it can be quite broad and there's a lot of grant giving that goes on there for people who may be experiencing financial issues. 
And like I say, there's a number of organisations working in that area, including the Royal Society of Musicians, the PRS Benevolent Fund. And then there's lots of kind of associate organisations like the Music Managers Forum and the Music Producers Guild who are offering really good advice for specific areas of the music sector that I would encourage people who work in those sectors to look at. And there is also a really interesting collective of therapists called the Music Industry Therapists Collective, who are a range of people who have music industry experience who are also qualified counsellors. So I know Adam mentioned that he didn't find much support for legal and business services within the music industry at that time. You mentioned the Musicians' Union and the Incorporated Society of Musicians. Do you know, is that, is that something they can help with? Yeah, and the Musicians' Union have a really good uh, legal advice service and we get really good feedback from people that we support. We also, as part of Music Minds Matter, there is a generalised legal advice line, so it wouldn't be appropriate for people who have music-specific legal queries, but if they've got questions or they need some support around something outside of music, then uh, there's a legal advice line that's free to use as well. I know the ISM have a really good legal advice team as well, actually, because I've used them in the past. And also they have really good business support webinars. If anyone's a member, have a look and, and look into membership because also I know that the MU, you get free musical instrument insurance as well. Yes. Some people think, you know, oh, I've got to pay some money to be a member, but actually sometimes it works out cheaper than if you were to go and get your instruments insured elsewhere. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, but we will be, we'll be linking to all of these organisations. So we heard about some pretty impressive crisis management going on in that band, but thankfully we started to move the conversation more into crisis prevention, I think, in the industry. What do you see that's being done at the moment to help that model? It's noticeable how much more we're being asked to talk about the difficulties of working in music, but also about the positive aspects of working in music. And I think it's important to recognise how positive people feel about music who work in music often there are a range of things that can be challenging within people's careers in music and obviously the kind of freelance nature of a lot of people's careers can bring up some difficulties in terms of managing that but we're often being asked to go and speak at events in music hubs and at educational institutions and there seems to be a real shift towards offering kind of preventative interventions and education around the kind of some of the things that people will need to take into consideration and need to be thinking about around kind of maintaining well-being and balance in their careers. So would you consider yourself healthy? Sometimes, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what I would say is actually, I mentioned balance before, and I think it's something that I think is really hard to maintain. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the well-being models, it's often about kind of trying to find the right kind of balance. The reason why I mentioned that is probably because when I was younger, I didn't always have that balance. And I think you kind of took me a long time to learn. So how do you stay healthy on a daily basis? exercise. I kind of try and spend time thinking about my day and thinking about kind of my interactions and stuff like that and just trying to find a kind of balance in general between enjoying myself but also taking elements of my life seriously where I have to. You're right it's a real balance isn't it like you can take it all too seriously and you have actually got to live your life and yeah. enjoy it as well yeah. and actually in wellbeing models we really see that. It's often counterproductive to tell people to be prescriptive and say you should do this. I'm not going to tell people that they shouldn't drink because I think it can be an enjoyable release for people and and it can be managed. But it, again, it's about balance. I think if some of the things that we see with people around uh, substance use and alcohol use, uh, working in music, if you think about the environment where someone is on tour for 30 days, if you took them outside of that environment, they probably wouldn't drink every day at home. But sometimes that's something that happens when people are on tour because it's hard to maintain that balance when you're outside of your home environment. Thank you to Joe for highlighting the range of support that Help Musicians offers. If you need help with any of the issues that have been raised in today's episode, you'll find links and signposts to all the appropriate services in the podcast description. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate it, comment and subscribe as this will help other musicians find us. You can follow us on social media at Elevate Music Pod and send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Wise Buddha in partnership with Help Musicians. Thanks for listening and see you next time.